The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Tim Cato, staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Dallas Mavericks. Thanks for hopping on. I know it's been crazy in Dallas over the last, in Texas, really, over the last week or so. Yeah, it's, uh, honestly, the weather right now, which is gorgeous, is almost like taunting us. It was like, you know, last week, it's, you know, everybody loses power and, and heat. I, I lost heat um, and water for a little bit. Uh, now now it's just gorgeous out there. It's like, oh, look at, look at us. And I think it's going to rain for the next six straight days or something. So, <sighs> Texas stuff. It's insane. I I couldn't I could not believe it when I saw my I have cousins in Houston, so they had snow. But when I saw it was single digits in Dallas, it was warmer. I'm in Virginia. It was warmer here than it was there, and it was only like maybe 30 here. And now we have 70 degree weather outside right now, or we did earlier. It felt like so. I mean, we're right there with you. I feel it seems like. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a ominous start to, to start to the year uh, in some ways. Uh, we're just begging, we're begging, begging for a better one. Yeah. So, uh, so just to kind of get right into it, you, so you previously, as I mentioned, you're with the athletic, you previously covered the NBA for SB nation. And before that you were the editor in chief for Mavs Moneyball, And I'm an SB nation guy as well. Uh, so I know you had a really cool article talking about ultimately your decision to go to the athletic. So how did that all kind of come together for you? And even just the discussion to even consider the athletic. I've been really fortunate that it feels like each step of my professional career have gone one to the next to the next. And it's been a very easy and natural and almost a no brainer decision um, for, for each step that I've taken. I I was with SB nation, like going back to high school I, is when I first started blogging for them um, then ran the site. And then that led to a, a part-time gig at SB nation. And then, Right as I was graduating college, uh, a full-time gig opened up there. Uh, so that was my first full-time job. But after about two years at SB Nation, it just made sense for me to kind of get out of something that was more of a hourly shift work, uh, which is which is the way they're structured. Um, and, you know, not in a bad way, but, it, but you know, that was the perfect first job. But just just the athletic, you know, it, it came around at, at, the, at the right time when I was looking to do something that was... Um, not so much, you know, not as, I guess not as structured. Um, it's weird to call my job not structured, um, when, when it's structured around like eight an 82 game season or, you know, normally, but it, it was, it was definitely the, the, the right step. Um, and what's funny, I think is that back in 2018, every, you know, like every conversation I would have with a journalist I hadn't seen in a while, I, I think the athletic would come up because of what it was doing and how new it was, but also how quickly it was expanding. So it it was something I had thought about for actually a while. Like, is is the athletic going to come to Dallas? I assume they were eventually, and if they do, and they off and you know they reach out to me and and offer me the Mavs beat, which I thought they might, um, then uh, then yeah, what, what what would I say? And so. It was it was interesting that that it it did it did seem like it happened a little sooner than I anticipated, but but once it did, I'd already kind of thought the decision out of my head, and I definitely made it definitely made sense, and and uh, it's it's been great so far. 
Yeah, I think it's really cool. You're my second straight podcast interview with someone from The Athletic. So I think it's really cool. I think, I mean, to me, it's like kind of like the pinnacle of sports writing these days because it's a subscription website. So many prominent writers are there. So in my mind, I feel like you've made it. It's awesome that you're what you're doing right now. I've been checking out your work recently, of course. And, you know, it's funny, as I reminded you a week or so ago, uh, we traded emails like three or four years ago. I know we said it was like forever ago now, pre-COVID times. But uh, I remember I was looking for a job trying to figure out my path. And uh, your name came up with, uh, I don't even know, it was like a job recruiter I was talking with. They mentioned your name. We traded emails. So I know you didn't really remember that, but I saw one of your articles pop off recently and i was like i remember that name and sure enough i went and i was like there's the email <laughs> so yeah it's funny you uh once i once you saw the screenshots yeah i i, I was like oh that's that's me that's my writing yeah. um but yeah dude don't uh i i know nothing but i can't <laughs> i can't remember what happened last week well last week yes it was a, a bit more notable but but yeah, yeah. it's it's uh it's Quick that's that's marriage. funny <laughs> i thought i thought that was uh that was that was amusing yeah so uh i asked nearly everyone this but specifically covering sports, the media, uh, explain the difficulty, the unique challenges you face covering a professional team during a pandemic. Yeah. So I think the weird thing and is that it, at its core, um, to some degree, sports journalism is access journalism um, because of the uh, attention paid to it and, and just the, um, you know, the, the commitment of, of fans to follow the team and, and just the, the, the constant demand for, for sports journalism. So much of the interviews and access and, and, you know, just questions you can ask players and, and coaches are set up by the PR teams. And I feel like, and, and there's good reasons for that. And there are certainly a lot of things you can learn in those settings. Um, I feel like for my job, it's trying to maximize the ability that I work outside of those setup um, PR, you know, those PR setup times and interviews and scrums. The more I can either talk to people who don't aren't usually being talked to, or talk to people who are talked to a lot, but talk to them on my own with uh, with questions that are different than how are you feeling after this loss? You know, you're, you're only going to get you're going to get the same answer you know, to, uh, you know, more or less the, the similar answer as these same questions be, get are asked after games so constantly. And, and so, um, you know, just, it, it really does turn a bit monotonous. And so a lot of my job is working outside of that. And obviously you can imagine without being able to just kind of walk up to a player when he's on his own, a player that I've built up a relationship with, uh, a coach, you know, after a practice, um, I definitely lose an element of that. It's, it's, you, you have to work a little bit harder, uh, to get people on the phone and, and you lose some of the just natural stories you, you see, uh, when, when you're, when you're there in person, um, you know, like going to the practice facility, the Mavericks practice facility, uh, a bunch of times, and then, you know, kind of realizing it's, it's funny. I didn't make this realization sooner, um, or I didn't write this story sooner, but realizing, Oh, there's a, you know, there's a brewery right next door. They're not, not right next door. You go in, uh, through doors and <laughs> the sign above the doors are, uh, are for the brewery. And it's just like this funny symbiotic relationship. And so I ended up doing a story on it, I think last season. So it probably would have been late 2019, just about how funny it is that, you know, these professional basketball athletes, uh, share a wall with 
you know, these, this brewery and these brewery guys and they share a parking lot out in the back. And, you know, I talked to some of the guys about just the funny interactions where they'll wave at, uh, you know, these players driving sports cars as, you know, their overnight shift, the brewery overnight shift workers are like having a beer and smoking a cigarette <laughs> at 7 a.m. And, and these players are coming in to, to perform high level, you know, athletic activities. Uh, it was just a funny contrast. So that's just like an example. The first example that popped ahead, uh, that popped to mind of just a story that, you know, if I wasn't going there in person and just having, you know, noticing things that I find interesting, uh, which is where naturally a lot of my stories come from, you know, it, it is a little harder. You have to work a little bit harder uh, to find those creative ideas and especially the ones that I, I try to I try to emphasize in, in my writing and work. Uh, so it's been a challenge, but uh, you just you just. I mean, you just work. I mean, there's no, I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is there's no way around it. Right. You know, like we're all stuck in this together. Yeah. Um, right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, I think that the, I guess the way I've adapted is just partially, partially just by going back to a bunch of old ideas I had. Um, I haven't been really creating a ton of new ideas, but I have so I've had so many over the past few years that I'm able to go back to some of those. Uh, and beyond that, you just write, um, you know, you, you can still find angles. And, and so that's that's all I've been trying to do. Yeah, I guess I feel like it sort of puts everybody kind of on a level playing field, so to speak. But at the same time, you're right. all trying to do something different and creative. But I guess once we finally get back to normal, which I feel like slowly but surely, I think we're trending that way. But I feel like, you know, it you'll look back on this and be like, wow, I really overcame this. this I mean, not just from a sports perspective, but obviously a life perspective, but you overcame professionally some obstacles to help you maybe even get better going forward. So yeah, I think, so. I think that's fair. Um, it's been, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a good time to, to try to like build up routines that are, are consistent and, and things like that. So that's, I think that's, you know, where I, where I can kind of assess, oh, professionally or, or in terms of my job, where am I making strides? I don't know if, uh, you know, I've, I've learned to write any better in the past year or, you know, come up with story ideas better than I had before. Um, and I think the circumstances, uh, you know, did kind of hinder that, uh, had, had this whole plan to go to, to Europe for like nine or 10 weeks, uh, partially, you know, just to, to just kind of wander around and, and do some stories and, and all that, uh. And, and, you know, so it's a bummer, you know, you miss some growth opportunities, but, but, you know, you can make it up in other ways. The way the season's playing out so far, are there any early surprises in general from uh, just across the NBA that have stood out to you? Or is it kind of just aside from the no fans and the COVID protocols as it is, has it played out kind of the way you would have expected coming out of the, the bubble last year and going into this season? It, the weird thing, the weirdest thing about trying to analyze this season is that I feel like so much of what sports writing is, uh, is built upon past seasons and you use examples and you use, um, everything you've learned from, you know, a player's career or just watching games previously under a certain coach, you know, this is how he does things. And this is, and, and a lot of those lessons still apply, but, but I think that to, to some base level, uh, this season's just going to be different. It's just different with the, you know, with, with everything, uh, with all the changes, with the with the condensed nature of it, with um, you know, just the way that uh the the, the isolation, I think, really on the road is is a big is a big aspect that is is hard to quantify, but but certainly is affecting players. Um, I, I do feel like games are, and, and I think there's some statistical backing for this that games are more likely to swing uh in one direction or the other. You know, once once a team builds a twenty point lead, historically the losing team 
is more likely to actually catch up to go on a run of their own. And, and that that effect has not really been there as often this season. So I think that's been an interesting thing to watch and, and kind of see as well. But yeah, just the idea that I don't like I don't know how to analyze this team to the to the best possible way like the Mavericks are a have had a disappointing start and a disappointing season up to this point but have also been the team most afflicted by or most affected by COVID-19 um, or at least when they were you know had five players out due to it you know certainly they were uh, I haven't I haven't kept up with uh, with all of the uh, absences and, and losses but you know the other tricky thing is they're they just had to keep playing through that because they did have enough healthy players to keep playing um so that's that's it's just weird it's a weird part of the season and and i i don't think that you know fans are you know whatever's going on in their own lives is is, i'm sure difficult everybody's life is difficult so they're just wanting to be entertained and and if their team isn't playing as as well as they think they should be uh you know it's their right to be kind of annoyed about it and upset and and so (laughs) just being like well things are weird and and you shouldn't you know you you can't get mad that the team isn't as good as they should be you know, it's not like an excuse that that I comforts. I, I know that, and so that's that's the weird the weird part about constantly saying that, and and also knowing that, you know, it's not what fans of a disappointing losing team want to hear. It's that balance. It's like on the one hand, it sucks if my team's not winning, but the other hand, it's like we have basketball at all right now, or we have right. sports at all right now. Like if that's our biggest problem, it's kind of puts that in perspective you mentioned it with the Mavericks, the COVID, uh, and then just just from an on the court some of the issues like defensively or three-point shooting. I know they've won a few games now recently. They're back in that right on the peripheral of the playoff race. It's still technically early. I know it's a short season and all, but do you feel like the team is starting to turn it around now or is it still we need to see more of consistency or more of any specific factor that you might be looking at? Oh, they've they've definitely they definitely looked like the team I expected. Uh, you know, in the past, I think it's been nine or ten games now. Uh, they they played Atlanta on the road and they played better that game. And just generally, the the, the team has picked up. But that is co you know that has been directly correlated with them getting all their injured and sick players back. So it's it's not a it's not a surprise to me. And it's what I kept trying to say is that you know this team when healthy uh, when when it has you know just a few games to gel and and figure things out is going to be better is going to be more like the team that I, I predicted and expected them to be in the preseason. Um, and it was really just a waiting game for for a while as they. I think maybe at their lowest point, they're like four or five games under 500. They're, they're back to 500 now, like you said, on the, uh, you know, right around uh, the, the playoff picture. Um, so, yeah, no, they've they, I absolutely think they've figured it out. Um, it's not to say that the roster doesn't have any issues, but generally this team is is looking like the one I expected them to. And that's, uh, you know, it's it's just a relief, honestly, for me as as someone who's like, I, I kept waiting for it to happen and, sure. and I kept saying it's going to happen and and to finally get to that point and be like all right like i said like let's calm down the team is is as good as we you know or you know around where we thought they were going to be it's 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 not it's not a uh it's not a pan- it's not time to panic uh by any means uh even if there are some outstanding questions and whatnot and they have a couple of big tests with the sixers and the nets coming up so in general what would you say the vibe right now in dallas is around the mavericks i mean a lot of the vibe is is definitely focused around uh porzingis right now especially after the uh the the bleacher report mm, right. um uh bleacher report report if you will uh about you know him not being an untouchable uh aspect in in trade conversations um so so you know i think the conversation is just like it keeps getting centered not so much around oh what's the team going to be you know how could good can they be 
Um, and, and, you know, there's been things to uh, draw attention kind of away from, I think, this this small renaissance that, that we all expected once the team was healthy. So I, I don't I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't think that anybody thinks this is going to be a title contender. And that's the other reason why, you know, to some level, it, it, there's not as much concern about, oh, look, you know, the team's finally getting together. Like, do, do they have the ability to make a run? I don't think anybody thinks they have that. Uh, they just expect it to be a, a, a solid playoff team. Uh, they, they, you know, they don't want, uh, they don't want them to be, you know, in the in the play-in race. They, they you know, and I, I think that's fair. I think this team is absolutely should, you know, elevate them past that group of, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth seed seeded teams. Um, before the season, I thought that they had a chance to to sneak into the top four and get home court advantage. You know, maybe as a as a fourth seed. That's that's looking a little less likely. Um, the the top four feels fairly um reasonable and 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 legitimate um but there's no reason why this team shouldn't get its way up to to fifth to the fifth seed to the sixth seed somewhere around there Uh, i think that's the expectation um how much the conversation is focused there you know maybe not yet but you know there's uh there's there's been other things to talk about i guess is the um is is the is the reasoning there yeah, like you mentioned, the Kristaps Porzingis, that was like my next thing I was going to say. What's the future? Because obviously, you wrote about it, I think, yesterday, uh, that it's not likely he'd be moved if he's not playing well. Plus, he has a ton of money, three years and about $102 million still owed to him. You also said it, too. If he's playing well, they're probably not going to want to move him either. Right. Because of what they've said about him and what you know we know they think about him, um, if the Mavericks want to move him, it kind of like drops his value. Because it's not it's not a situation where Porzingis has clashed in the locker room with anybody or the coaching staff. It's not a situation where he's a poor fit. It's a situation if the Mavericks want to trade him, it must be because they don't trust him or his productivity or his health. And those are all things that will concern every team in the league. You know, whereas a a locker room clash, a you know a star running out, a a uh, just having a fit issue. Those would be reasons where you know a, a opportunistic team would be like, oh, he will work better with us. So, so it's kind of like this this uh, two way thing where where if the Mavericks do have faith in him and in his fit in Dallas, then there's no reason to trade him. Why, why you know why would they? And if they don't, then who would want to trade for him, uh, especially given the contract he's on? So, you know, I don't know if that's a you know a kind of kind of sort of chicken and the egg situation, whatever you want to call it. It's it's. It's uh, they definitely have a paradox of of not realistically um, being able to move on for him unless they're bringing back uh, something that is going to be way less than the value of what Porzingis can be at his best. If that if that kind of tracks, I don't know how often you kind of are able to keep up with the other players, teams, the situations around the league as much. But I've been listening to a lot of Chicago sports media, and they've been talking about Zach Levine in Chicago. Should they trade him? Or can they build around him? Do you have any thoughts? I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, it, it, it kind of reminded me of that when you mentioned um, Przingis and like could a, a guy like Zach be a, a fit? I'm not saying Dallas, but how do you kind of view a situation like that even playing out? I mean, well, first, I would definitely say he's a fit in Dallas. I, I don't think there's, I think there's little chance that that Dallas could come up with an interesting enough trade offer to to really have any chance of acquiring him. But I, I do think that you know he's he's definitely definitely would fit great uh, next next to Luca. Um, I, I would accept those you know any defensive concerns and, and just kind of pull the trigger on on someone that dynamic and and, and good at scoring. Beyond that, you know, I, I do think it's interesting as as teams who are bad and and will be bad for a few years. 
just the idea of okay, you have a really good player, you're still bad. Do you you know do you hang on right. to him, try to build around it? Like like when when is the what would you need to get back from? Uh, what's what's the value of having? You know, I guess really what you're doing is you're challenging yourself to know what your timeline is. And that's a hard thing for a front office. A front office can have an idea of what their timeline should be. They should have an idea of, okay, you know, these are the the general steps we'll be taking this season, you know, the, in the offseason, the following offseason, the offseason after that. But, you know, it's all, you know, you can't actually predict it out. You can't actually plot it out. And so, you know, the, the Bulls can gamble on saying, okay, we're going to be better, you know, we're going to get good real quick. And maybe we'll be even better than that. And it's worth keeping them around. You know, I think that's uh, versus being more realistic and saying, hey, we're four years out. You know, you know, this this is, you know, in four years, Levine will not be someone who helps us. And what we can get for him in the meantime, as as, you know, something that we're continually looking at and, and updating, you know, what what is out there, what offers are out there. Uh, you know, that would help us over the course of this four year period more than, you know, Levine would once once we get to that fourth year. Um, it's an interesting thing. And, and it definitely I, I definitely sympathize with NBA front offices who are always doing this this nonsense juggling uh, act that where they can make the right decision or they can make they can make a logically sound decision and still have and, and still be very wrong. And, and that's that's a. That's wild. That's wild to me. Very true. Do you think he's a max max contract type guy, or is he more of like a complimentary star, but not necessarily that superstar? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think he is a. I think he is a max guy, but he's a low level max guy, right? Right. right. And and you know the most valuable player in contract in sports is the high level max guy who on an open market would be making 10, 15, 20 million more. So the low level max guys are very tricky to, you know, do you actually invest that much money in them? And are we actually getting the right amount of, you know, I guess value back for them? It's a, it's tough. It's, it's a, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about these, these, even though they might, you know, two players might be on the same max contract because that is the max that they can make. But clearly, they're on different tiers as players, and and you know at some point that does sort of affect the value of the of the second player. Uh, not not only that he's a worse basketball player, but that he's making the same money, and thus he's a worse fit. Uh, or he, or he's you know you're getting less value for the for the percentage of the cap space he's taking up. Describe the daily experience of getting to watch and cover Luka Doncic. I'm sure that's a treat, right? <sighs> yeah, you saw you saw the shots uh, Tuesday night, huh? Um, he is. I've I've written many many words about him. I will I will continue to write many uh, in in the future. But he is just remarkable in in terms of you know just someone who seems like he has it. Just seems like the world wants him to to succeed. Sometimes like that that's always one of the you know kind of esoteric, but but always kind of the, one of the funny things to to watch and, and just see this guy continue to succeed and, and take steps up and and make shots uh when you know in, in the in clutch moments as as he does and it's been a while so i, I went to slovenia a couple of years ago now um and and uh it was going to go back last summer and and you know certainly i, I think that you know just I, i'm i feel very fortunate i took my job at the athletic a month before they drafted luca oh, so wow. the you know, it was it was the right move for me, even without that happening. But certainly, the the, the aspect of the job changed so much, and very fortunately, uh, in, in in that terms, 
um, when uh, when when they drafted Luca, and it's it's been uh, it's been fun. Yeah, I read that article earlier, and of course, I was going to mention that too. I mean, that had to be an awesome experience as well, and. Yeah, they really love their winners over there. It's a smaller country, but they really love and gravitate towards those winners. So of course, Luca and you mentioned like Anze Kopitar and just other athletes. Right. It's it's their it's their one chance to get their their yeah. country national recon or international recognition. Uh, which is it's it's a funny dynamic. It's very it's it's of course very foreign. Uh, I guess the the one the one comparison you can make to American sports is, is like if you're if your hometown sends an athlete to the Olympics or something like that. I, I grew up in uh, in Plano, Texas, a suburb. Uh, but, oh man, one of the gymnasts, and I am trying to remember which one. Um, I do not remember. But one of, one of, the, one of the gymnasts, uh, the U.S. gymnasts in the early 2000s was from the town one over, uh, Allen, Texas. And we would see like signs. And, we, and, and you know, there would be, you know, just some level of, of, of people just talking about, oh, you know, she grew up there and look at her but it's nothing like slovenians like that's that's what slovenians do times 10 times 100 so you know just going over there and, and hearing and seeing and, and reading and, and being around that passion was was a amazing experience for sure and uh and yeah i uh i, I hope it's it's something i want to continue to write about and and look in you know not look into and, and talk to people about and explore because I think it's a it's a fascinating concept and I idea and identity really that as you know if if you're an American uh, and and you're just so used to so many athletes uh, being American and all around you and so much success happening all the time uh, you know it's not something that you're ever going to inherently feel uh, like like a like a Slovenian person feels towards Doncic. Yeah, that was a really cool article to read. And I mean, you were, you were only there for four days, I think you mentioned in the article. And I was thinking, wow, that seems so short, but really cool that you were able to go over there. Hopefully you'll be able to get back there soon once, yeah. you know, we can all travel again and get back to normal. Se- seven day trip, but it, it takes, you know, it takes a, a full day, okay. a full day and then overnight. And then I think I got there, I think I got there in an evening and then four full days there. And then I left in the morning. And and so that makes sense. Uh, okay. First, first time ever. I was uh, first time I'd ever gone to Europe, which is wild. Um, I've never been either, so I need to get over there. (laughs) Do you get to interact with Mark Cuban? Or interact? Do you get to? I mean, I guess if you if you're ever able to ask questions, do you are you able to talk with him, or is it kind of through someone? Or no? So Mark Cuban is the. I I don't think it's. I I think he is the most open and accessible billionaire alive. I don't think that's even close to an exaggeration. I can see that, yeah. He he famously will read, uh, at least open and read the first, like I think, paragraph of any email sent to him. Um, he has a, I, I won't share it, but his email is out there. Like it's not that hard to find. Um, so he's very accessible. And when games are happening uh, under normal circumstances, he's usually, you know, someone you can just walk up and talk to. Um, if, if, uh, if you kind of get to know what his pregame routine is, you know, there are intervals where, you know, he will be in a public, you know, he'll be on the court essentially, uh, hanging out near the court. And if you're a media member who wants to talk to him, like that's, that's your chance. You just kind of go up and and talk to him. You know, it's, it's, you don't go through PR or anything. He, you know, he has some degree of that, but, but so much of, of what he does and handles and, and, and so much of, of the inter, you know, so many of the interviews he gives are, 
are just things that he chooses to do and he kind of handles it himself. So in that, in that respect, you know, I have a, I do really appreciate that aspect of him that, that he is as transparent as he is. Um, and yeah, uh, knowing him for as long as I have, you know, being, being at, being credentialed to go to mass games for like nine years now. Um, I feel like I have a, a very, you know, a, a relationship where I can, you know, holler at him for, for stories about anything. And it's, it's, a it's a, it's, it's, it's a weird to one to say, um, but it's really not that weird. Like, it's just like, that's both the type of person he is and it's been the nature of my job uh, all all these, all these times. So, so yeah, you know, it's not like I'm hanging out with him, uh, you know, outside of, uh, work related reasons or, or, you know, talking to him and uh, other than that, but, but certainly I think even in the past couple of years, like, you know, I've had, I've had more conversations with him that were not strictly on the record quotes for a story. Um, and, and, you know, every once in a while I'll, I'll kind of argue with him, go back and forth about, you know, just something, just something else. Um, and he's always been really open to that. Um, so, so respect to him there. Yeah, that's really cool. He does seem pretty genuine just, you know, from what I can see on TV. So he does seem like a genuine, like a genuine but very real person. So, you know, seems really, like what you were saying. I could I could sense that. So that's really cool. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Have you have you heard the story about him him in the Stairmasters? Or the Stairmaster? Oh, that sounds familiar, but I, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I don't know. So, um I think for the entire time the Mavericks have played in the American Airlines Center, um up until a few years ago when they so, so this changed a few years ago. They redid the locker room, but previously the locker room opened up to the weight room um, for for the players, and there was a stairmaster like right behind, right past the the entrance. Um, and so, normally the you know the weight room would be off limits, and, and that's kind of where the players come into the locker room, and then we have a media entrance on the other side. But uh, just the way it worked is is Cuban started having people come in. Uh, you know, to that, to that area and just ask him questions while he's on the Stairmaster. Um, and he would do it, you know, he would do it during the, the pregame open media, um, availability. Uh, so you get 30 minutes of the locker room opening up before a game and he would always time his Stairmaster, um, you know, except for a rare occasion where he didn't want to talk or he had something else going on. Uh, he would always time the Stairmaster for that 30 minute uh, segment and it was just known that media would go in there and what's most interesting is that it really was like a you know just kind of stand around him for 20 minutes and sometimes people would like not ask any questions for maybe 15 seconds or so and then somebody would think of something else to to lob at him um, and he's just standing above you the entire time just sweating and and going upstairs and it's it's it was this bizarre very amusing tradition um that that did sadly go away um uh, maybe not sadly, I mean, but but it was it was it, it went away. I think in in 2017, um, and and that's when the routine is is more what uh, I described earlier, where where you just kind of you, you find him on the court. Uh, but but that that was always one of the funniest, uh, most most amusing uh, scenes I've I've ever seen. Honestly, as a as a journalist, <laughs> uh, yeah. just just Mark Cuban, honestly preferring us to be there so that he you know, was distracted from exercising and, and had something else to, to put his mind on. Uh, I, I really think so. That sounds like Mark Cuban. Yeah, that sounds, that's, that's, that's really funny. I, I, that does seem familiar. I'm prob I probably did hear that, but I know Mark I Stein remember. wrote a story about it. I was mad. I saw him write it and it was, it was the same, it was the same way with the, um, with the brewery where 
uh, I vi- like when I did think of the brewery idea, I was like, why didn't I think of this sooner? This is obviously a story. And once Stein did it about the the Stairmasters, I wish I had done that story. Uh, I was I think I was uh, I was working for SB Nation then, and I wish I had written that kind of as a feature. That would have been fun. That does sound awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, for popping on, and uh, you were great. I, I didn't want to bug you with DMs or anything, but thanks for just responding and coming on. Really cool to talk with you and just get some insight. Yeah, absolutely do. Three, two, one, zero, zero, and